This is Mackenzie Milton. This is Steve Levy from ESPN. And you're listening to One Night Stand. And you're listening to One Night Stand. One Night Stand. Hey, c'est condition ça qui t'est passé. Just One Night Stand. Avant toute bagaille t'est commencé. One Night Stand. Pas de penser que c'est ton stand. This is One Night Stand. Presented by First Watch, the official breakfast and lunch sponsor of One Night Stand. What up, Night Nation? It's game week. College football is back. We've got the Boise State game coming up in just a few days, Thursday, September 2nd. On today's show, we've got special guest Jason Beatty, the new UCF beat reporter for the Orlando Sentinel. We talk all things UCF, his career, a lot about Gus, Terry, players to look out for. We do our preseason superlatives, offensive and defensive players of the year, sleeper picks, uh, record prediction, all of that. Also, we talk a little bit about the uh, the polls that came out, the stadium upgrades plan, the shareholder scrimmage that I attended last week, and the return of Money Moves Picks. Speaking of, I'm here with Money Moo. UCF is just days away from its home opener, and the excitement is building rapidly. Football is back as the Gus Bus rolls into town and welcomes the Broncos from Boise. All right, let's get to it. Ah, I can't believe it's here. Been waiting for this all summer. We say this every season opener. It seems like it went by so fast. And we talk about this later with Beatty, but. You know, the two G5 powerhouses, Boise was like the first one to do it, and then us with the Peach Bowl, and uh, definitely a, a game that we've had circled for a while, and I can't wait to get back to the bounce house. You know, full capacity, place is going to be rocking. Um, Moo, how you feeling heading into this week? I feel incredible. First off, season four of the One Night Stand podcast begins right now. Hey, It's been an incredible journey from when we first started this. We couldn't have done it without the fans. Just want to say thanks. Get that out of the way real quick. Okay, now back to football. Um, Yeah, of course I'm excited because I didn't get to go to the bounce house last year, which was the first year in a long, long time. Didn't miss anything. Um, yeah, I, I did end up going to two games last year, two wins. We went to Georgia Tech and USF. Um, but it still didn't feel the same as home. Um, so I'm really excited to be there. I took the day. I Normally, this is a very rare occasion. You know I never get to go to weekday games. Nope. I said screw it this year. Um, I was able to get two days off, so I'm taking Thursday and Friday off. Let's go which is awesome. Um, I think what? Are we going up Wednesday night? Yeah, Wednesday night. Okay. Sitting in your seats. Let's go. I haven't go. sat on that side It's in great. A while. It's a nice corner. Uh, <laughs> Ann and Brian next to us and uh, the people, the four people next to us who have never attended a game that sell their tickets on StubHub. They're really nice. And, uh, hey. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait. Um, you know, I went to a bunch of the home games last year and, I mean, obviously it didn't help that – some of them, you know, one of them was a Tulsa game and stuff, but that there was just no energy. And, uh, yeah, you know what? Last year just didn't happen. We were still on, a, like, a 23-game home win streak. Uh, I'm just going to not count last year. But, no, in all seriousness, I can't wait that 
football's back. There's a ton of great storylines going into this year. Dylan Gabriel, Gus Malzahn, obviously. Whole new coaching staff. Whole new offense. I drove up to Orlando, and like I had less than a 24-hour trip because I'm busy with work. But I drove up just to see us scrimmage for two hours, and it's awesome. I love how we're running the ball. I don't want to say too much. Not like anyone from Boise is listening, but still. <laughs> Shareholder privilege. Um, it, it's really cool. It, it's just nice to you know see us go back to some some concepts and stuff that we haven't really seen since George. And uh, offensive line looks great. And uh, I can't wait. It's the best time of the year, football season. It feels like Christmas, seriously. Tailgating is back. That's going to be fun. Um, back. Obviously, you know, tailgate safely, responsibly. But, uh, yeah, it, it's just it's just going to be great to, to be back on campus with everyone, you know. I don't want to keep bringing up last year, but uh, it's just it's great. You know, we're not going to think about that after this first game. And uh, how are you feeling going into this football-wise? You know, Boise's got a lot of experience. They've got a new coaching staff, but... I know, Moo, you're a big numbers and research guy. Uh, how are you feeling heading to this one? I really like the home field advantage. You know, Boise a couple years ago, however, traveled into Tallahassee and pulled off the upset against Florida State. I think it's a little different this time. I think the environment at the bounce house is, is definitely more electric than Florida State has been in the last few years. Um, their fans do travel well, though. I will note that as uh, Jason kind of said in the interview later that they did buy a bigger number of tickets than their allotment was. So we'll need to watch out for that. So the allotment's 3,000. So even if they bring 4,000 people, they've got 10% of the stadium. I know what how loud 10% of the stadium is. It's not that yeah. loud. So, I mean, it's still more than average, I would say. That's fair. That's fair. For, that just, for us. We just got to bring the energy. I mean, come on. We've got... You know, how long has it been since a full home game? Probably like 18 months or something like that. We've got a lot of energy pent up, you know. Bring it. We need everyone loud. Give us the home field advantage that we really missed this last year. We can't couldn't factor it into the, the spreads. Uh, we'll obviously talk about betting angle a little bit later. You know, you bring up a really good point, though, with, with the home field advantage. It's something I kind of just forgot about last year, and – you know, now it's going to be a huge factor. Yeah, I think everyone, too, has a ton of pent-up energy. You know, a lot of people didn't go to any games last year mm-hmm. because of COVID. And I think finally now, you know, with the vaccines and everything, that I, people are a little more comfortable being around other people. I think the stadium is just going to be absolutely electric, and I can't wait. But yeah, yeah that's. <laughs> I just want next Thursday to be here already. I know, right? It'll go by fast, I promise you. Um, so a little bit disappointing news coming out of the coaches and the AP polls. I thought we would maybe be a little bit higher. We ended up ninth in others receiving votes in the coaches poll, which is good for number 34. And we were 15th. We were the 14th. Someone took a vote away. We had six. Now we have five, which is good for 40th in the AP poll. So we've got... I guess a little bit of work to do with that, but the big news other than us is Cincinnati comes in at number seven in the coaches and number eight in the AP poll. What was your initial reaction when you heard that Cincinnati was ranked so high coming off a NY6 loss, people forget? 
Yeah, I think very overrated. I have them closer to like 13, 14, actually. Um, they still are a really good team. They lost, you know, a good bit of their offensive production. Jared Dokes moving on to the NFL. Their defense, however, is still extremely strong. They did lose some people to the draft, but they have, I think they have one All-American guy. They have a lot of seniors on their on their defense, and that's the game that scares me, of course, just like last year. <laughs> but um, and the year before, just just a tad overrated. I, again, I have them like thirteen, fourteen. Just for comparison's sake, what was UCF looking like after the Peach Bowl win in the power rankings for you? Because uh, I know we, I think we were ranked seventeenth to start the year. Yeah. So for twenty seventeen, the Peach Bowl rank, I still have us ranked higher right now the power ranks that i use have cincinnati at a 16.3 i had us at a we're at a 15.3 all right so similar yeah but i mean desmond ritter versus mackenzie milton like let's be real yeah (laughs) (laughs) um he's gonna get exposed this year i think but actually i hope not until the ucf game because we need them to beat Notre Dame and Indiana. You think that's actually going to happen? I don't think the Notre Dame, no. The Indiana, possibly. You know, Michael Penix Jr. coming back from last year. Uh, very exciting player to watch. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, A lot I, of football. I, I that That's two road games. If they do make it past those two, Uh-oh. <laughs> either A, they're on a roll, or B, they might just be gassed and we could – you know, steal one from them. All right. I like that. The gas angle. Uh, we'll have to see, but that's, you know, a couple months away, a couple weeks away, whatever. Um, some very exciting news though, from UCF and new athletic director, Terry Mahajer this week. Um, well, actually last week they unveiled the, the future of the UCF football campus. Some very, very awesome renderings and actual plans of, the future of, you know, the whole athletics um, area around the stadium, you know, the, the recovery cove, uh, McNamara cove, that's been like up in the air for like four or five years with nothing actually being done. Terry came in and uh, introduces three, three phase plan. Phase one is going to be Nicholson Plaza. Uh, It's like the Southwest corner of the bounce house. That's where, there's going to be like some parking where you can like park in and tailgate like super premium tailgate area. And obviously the, you know, the McNamara Cove, the, the lazy river. And then phase two, they're going to build like the South tower thing with some more premium seating and add some standing room on the South end zone. Um, that'll increase our capacity by a couple thousand. And then phase three, they're blowing out, uh, building us like a whole new rebuilt Wayne Dench Sports Center, so expansion, renovation of the locker room, uh, the Bortles and Murray, Latavius Murray, athletics training room, uh, another performance center and equipment facility. So this will be like a football exclusive facilities for the team to use. Go to uh, ucfnights.exposure.co and it'll have all the renderings and the plans, but this is really awesome. And what Terry said, this is going to put us up to speed with the rest of the football programs in the nation, the top programs. I don't want to name names because I think we're better than them. 
but they have a lot of nice facilities. So, Moo, when you saw all this, what was kind of your reaction? Do you think this is even possible? Well, Sean, thanks to shareholders like you, <laughs> UCF can build all of these crazy nice things. Um, no, <laughs> so I, I mean, we knew about the Nicholson Plaza, the McNamara Cove, and all that. We we've saw we've seen you know some sketches of what it could look like. This seemed like the most complete version of that, um, which I, I, w- I was excited. You know, it, it's something different, something that sets us apart. Um, the launch club looks really cool. The premium seating at UCF stadium has, you know, grown every, you know, couple of years. I feel like they're adding something different. Whereas, you know, it's funny. I was watching the Texas game a few nights ago, just kind of starting like my game week off. And, um, it's weird seeing the stadium, like with no cabana seats on the, on the, uh, the east side oh yeah and, and and a lot less of the stadium club seats like i think there was only like 10 or 15 it looked like there was 10 or 15 rows of like that mustard yeah yellow colored seats so and, and those are the seats that people want you mm-hmm. know they're they're selling out need the mustard um they it, it makes more money for the schools exactly so and I, and you get that. you get better food and drink options and stuff too yeah, and it looked like there was some standing room area, you know, maybe a, another place to, like, find some shade or AC. You know, somebody commented on Twitter about, like, oh, why can't they just put shade? Well, guess what? Shade doesn't make any money for the school. <laughs> like, if you want to shade half the stadium and then pay double for your ticket, then that's fine. But, like, it's the premium seats that that make extra money for the school. So I'm all about it. It would suck if my seats were there and, you know, I got kicked out, but yeah, um, whatever stuff happens. <laughs> yeah. One Oh five till you, I die. You want shade <laughs> help UCF fundraise so we can get better recruits so we can get more wins so we can get more primetime games so we can get a bigger conference. <laughs> yeah. I guess or just get stadium club, watch it on TV. I don't know. Yeah. Or that. Um, but yeah, definitely so much to be excited about. And then also, obviously, the Boise game. All right, let's talk about the shareholders scrimmage that you went to. So that was awesome. Uh, You know, I drove up late Tuesday night. Scrimmage was at 9.30 Wednesday morning. Got to watch, you know, Dylan Gabriel and the first team offense. It looked like the defense was kind of rotating. There was so much going on. I was, like, trying to take notes in my phone of everything I could. So it was tough to watch, like, the defensive rotations. And, you know, like, the linemen always rotate in and out. But I didn't see KD and Big Cat on the field at the same time, so I'm assuming it was some combination of first and second team. You know, the offense, the running game, like I said, looked great. Throwing the ball, we looked – the first drive was kind of shaky, but after that we were able to move the ball. And then, you know, I talked a little bit about special teams in the interview with BD later. But overall, just a very cool experience to – and really, this is the first time I got to meet any other people, any other shareholders. Um, so it's cool to, you know, actually get to meet a lot of people. There were names, you know, McNamara, Tom McNamara, Recovery Cove. I got to meet him um, and just some other names. That I'm like, oh, I know your name from a building. You know, everyone had name tags on. And uh, you will be there. <laughs> I'm already in the College of Business. So definitely neat. You know, there's going to be more events like this, but besides whatever you get it's just cool to 
be able to give back to the school that you love so much. So if you're in a position to do that, you know, all the other stuff is nice, but it's awesome to really show your support by doing this. And, um, you know, obviously we can see exactly what the money's going to go to at this point. So shoulder scrimmage, definitely awesome. And definitely got me even more excited for, uh, for this first game. All right. Next up, we're joined by Jason Beatty the brand new UCF beat writer for the Orlando Sentinel. We talk to him about his career. We go in depth about UCF, Terry, Gus. He dropped a lot of awesome information on, you know, players to look out for on both sides of the ball, skill positions, offense, defense, linemen, everything. The only thing we didn't talk about is Dylan Gabriel because we already kind of know what we're getting with him. But yeah, definitely awesome to catch up with him. So let's get to that. All right, Night Nation, we're joined here with a good friend, even better reporter, just signed by the Orlando, almost said Orlando Magic, Orlando Sentinel as a new UCF beat writer. You got a max deal. Jason Beatty, how you doing, man? I'm good. I wish it was with the Orlando Magic. That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> but I'll take Orlando Sentinel for now. It's just as good. Yeah. So are you still going to be working for SI? Or I, I don't know how any of this stuff works in like the journalism community. So uh, give us a little I'll rundown. Be, I'll, be taking a, I'll be taking a step back uh, with Bucks coverage. Still going to be contributing a little bit, but not nearly as much. Um, definitely on the phasing out. But in terms of like journalism and jobs just some like you know because i'm in a different market covering a professional team versus a college team um i'm allowed to do that as you know kind of freelance work so gotcha um, obviously ucf is the priority the Orlando sentinel is the priority um but yeah i'll still be contributing for the bucks for a little bit longer awesome well glad glad to, uh <clears throat> glad to hear that glad to have you on board for this season um so let's talk a little bit about your career first. Um, you're super young. Um, and I didn't. And that was actually a surprise to me when I found that out when we were in Tulane a couple years ago. How did you start off in uh, in your career, and where did it take you? I guess how'd you get where you are now? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. A lot of people are. I mean, I'm going to say this as humble as possible. A lot of people are surprised that I'm. I mean, I'm only 23 years old. And I'm a college football beat reporter for a major publication. So yeah, no, it's it's um, huge, man. Think, and that's why I was surprised at your age a couple <clears throat> years ago because I was like, wow, this guy's done way more than I had I had ever even uh, <laughs> dreamed of doing at that age. <laughs> yeah, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I knew very early on that I wanted to do journalism. Um, I was fortunate enough. I'm from QS, by the way. I think you knew that. Yeah. Um, so QS High School has a newspaper called The Snapper. Uh, my freshman year of high school, I needed an elective. I was interested in the sports, not that athletic. <laughs> I watched Sports <laughs> Center in the morning, right, like everyone else. And uh, I said, hey, what the heck, I'll join the newspaper. And then I kind of wrote different things. Um, my sophomore year of high school, I got into sports-specific coverage. Um, my junior year of high school, I was a sports editor. And then my senior year, I served as editor-in-chief with a good friend of mine. Um, and, and really, when I was in high school, um, you know, the biggest thing about my career, I would say, is the snowball effect. Um, when I was in high school, I started covering QS High School football, the Conks, um, and, and I had an opportunity to write for a website that I'm still really grateful for called Florida High School Football. And if you're interested in high school football at all, you definitely have heard of Florida High School Football. 
uh, com. It's it's a pretty large website that I wrote for covered Key West. Yep. And then when I got to UCF uh, as a freshman in 2016, um, I wanted to cover uh, UCF football in any capacity. And unfortunately, that summer in six, 2016, the newspaper had ended. Um, so I was like, well, that stinks. Um, <laughs> so I was really looking for any opportunity to get on the field because I was doing photography, a little bit here and there, some writing here and there. So I had some decent experience, and I reached out to uh, you know, now a good friend of mine, a mentor, and someone I look up to, Juan Terubio, uh, at nights 24-7. Uh, and I was like, hey, man, um, I'm from South Florida. You're from South Florida. Uh, I can do photos for free. And he was like, all right, let's meet up. And then over the years, I had uh, some photography experience, and I got to shoot the games. And uh, as the years went on, uh, you know, I would fill in for him in games and basketball season. I'd be able to write some football features. Um, I got more and more workload, I guess. And then eventually in 2018, um, the spring 2018, right after Josh Heichel was hired, uh, going into that season, Juan left for the athletic and then eventually MLB.com. I had uh, the opportunity to become the publisher at night 24 7. So the past three years now, um, I've been the publisher, I was the publisher there. And then I graduated from UCF um, in spring 2020 virtually, which was pretty cool. Uh, and then during while I was at UCF, I mean, in addition to 24-7 sports, uh, I did two internships at the Arrowhead Sentinel, one with the sports team, uh, and then a second one with the visual team, so photos and videos and um, a lot of that type of coverage. Um, and uh, it's just been really good. But like I said, it's really snowball because if I didn't start covering high school football uh, for Florida high school football, I wouldn't have gotten noticed by the Orlando Sentinel. I did freelance work for them. Um, my credibility wouldn't have been built up for Juan to be like feeling comfortable to bring on some random freshman. And if I didn't get the night 24 seven job, I wouldn't have developed as journalist and known as the UCF beat to get the Orlando Sentinel job. So, uh, it's really just, you know, I can connect every piece of every job or every internship I've done through networking, uh, up until this point, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's, you know, that's a lot for, uh, but I mean, you've been doing it for what, like 10 years. So uh, definitely well earned and a uh, good lesson in, you know, networking and uh, also just following your passion. You know, you decided early on what you wanted to do and you stuck with it. And uh, here you are in a great spot. So that's awesome, man. Congrats again. Yeah, um, thank you. It's been fun. It's been a lot of fun. Let's shift to UCF a little bit. I guess we'll start from, you know, kind of the beginning of the year. What were your first impressions of, uh, of Terry Mohajer as the new athletic director? And uh, how, do you, how do you think he's going to, you know, lead our athletics uh, in the future? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's really interesting because I feel like if there is any way or anyone who could possibly replace Danny White uh, and even take it to the next level, uh, I feel like Terry Mohajer and what he was able to do at Arkansas State and the way he was – uh, you know, such a great fundraiser, someone who really knew how to work uh, an athletics association and, and really grow your college. Uh, Terry Mahajer was a perfect fit for UCF. And, and we really saw that from day one. I mean, his we've seen that over now since he arrived over six, you know, maybe eight months ago. Uh, just the energy he brings and uh, he's really passionate and uh, I, I feel like he doesn't take no for an answer and, and <laughs> you know, what he believes in and what he stands for is what he says. And, um, we've seen that and what he's done. I mean, he's done a lot in the first eight months of a job, um, which is pretty remarkable, but you know, I didn't know about him at first. Well, like when that name was being floated around, I had to do some research. Same. Yep. Um, it, 
you know, that's, uh, who knows athletic directors across the country, let's be honest, outside <laughs> of a handful. Um, but it, he, he's, you know, proven proven so far that he's, look, I mean, he had an unexpected big-time hire to make in the first couple of weeks, uh, and we're now eight months into it. He just, you know, uh, revealed his vision for UCF athletics facilities, uh, and he's, you know, he's on the right path to be really successful. Yeah, I mean, he's really done a lot when – you know, when Danny White left, I was like, I mean, he really did all he could do. And Terry came right in and was like, no, we've got lots of work to do. When I didn't really, I mean, I, I liked where we were at, not not to be complacent, <laughs> but uh, he came right in, like you said, you know, ball of energy. And I, I got to meet him and talk to him a little bit uh, last week. And he's exact, his personality that he showed in his introductory press conference was exactly who he is in person. Just super energetic, awesome guy. And uh, I'm excited for him to lead our athletics but you mentioned, you know, obviously the big hiring of uh, of Gus. Um, so let's talk about him. What are your impressions of him so far? You know, in, in retrospect, I feel like that hiring should have been a bit more obvious. Um, I know. I didn't. Know, even, I didn't put it together either. <laughs> it was just such a. I mean, obviously they had to work together. Now Terry didn't hire him at Arkansas State, but they had to work together, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, sure, Gus Alzan says he did consider doing TV. Um, for, for a year and then reevaluate the job market. But, um, you know, when you add in the tip of the previous relationship and the opportunity, uh, Gus Malzahn knows better than anyone that, you know, UCF is a program that's been on the rise for a while now and is continuing to rise to new levels. And, uh, you know, I think that hire should have been a bit more obvious. But uh, since he's arrived, I mean, Look, at day one, he comes in and says he's going to do all these things. And, you know, every every coach is going to say exactly what you want to hear on day one, right? Yep. Um, you know, that's who's not going to say, we want to recruit our area and we want to win championships and we <laughs> want to, you know, do this and do that, of course. Uh, but now here we are again, you know, about seven months into it. And uh, UCF's recruiting class, I know we'll get a little bit more into recruiting later, but UCF's recruiting class has eight out of the 11 kids uh, from the state of Florida. Uh, and they were only, you know, last year's class, Josh Heupel's final class only had about two or three kids in the state for it. So, um, that makes know, he, no sense really, when you think about it too. <laughs> it's yeah, it's pretty remarkable. And, but look, Gus Alzan said he was going to recruit Florida. He was going to recruit Orlando. Uh, he has a four star, uh, and the Martinez from Apopka. That would have not happened this year, uh, under the previous coaching staff. I can tell you that. Yep. Um, so and, you know, look, it's all – he really hasn't faced anything extremely difficult. Um, you know, this Antavius Thompson stuff was the first time where we had to ask him, like, something that wasn't all rainbows and butterflies. Uh, but we'll be, it'll be interesting to see how he developed as a coach uh, when he's facing adversity. Obviously, he's an experienced coach. That's the biggest thing I've noticed. You know, when Scott Frost came and Josh Heifel came, obviously they're different coaches, but they were both first-year coaches. This is not Gus Alzan's uh, first rodeo. So, you know, just the poise he has and the ability to, you know, set the standard for his team and people are going to respect that. Um, you know, it's definitely a different level of, of, of coaching staff. It's, I mean, it's really an SEC staff in there. Uh, from the hires he's made and the connections he has on the staff from South Florida high schools to Alabama high schools to, you know, all over with different experiences. G.J. Kinney had spent time with the, Philadelphia Eagles, Herb Hand, a longtime uh, coach out of Texas, and he just has everything in between with Tim Harris coming out of South Florida. And, uh, he put together a really good staff, and 
you know, they're saying exact, they're doing exactly what he said he wanted to do, at least on the recruiting trail. Obviously, he's got to win games, right? Right. Uh, but so far, so good, I think, for Gus Malzahn. Yeah, and, you know, you mentioned facing adversity. That was one thing with Josh Heupel that I think, I don't know if it masked everything, but it's like we never really took a look at how he was doing necessarily because if you just win all the games, no one's going to question everything. And then, obviously, as you know, stuff kind of started to unravel as we started to lose games and we started to see, you know, the lack of uh, discipline and whatever. But you're right. I mean, at least first impression has been good and he, he's followed through with everything he said. So I think we're uh, we're definitely on the right track. You mentioned the Bentavia situation before. Uh, do you know anything about mm-hmm. that? Because it, everything was pretty vague, um, at least on social media and from what I heard. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, you know, some unverified rumors out there. I mean, Gus didn't really address it either to be mm-hmm. honest with you. He just kind of said we wish him the best. Um, you know, I'm not in the business of just dropping rumors or, no, or no, no. that nature that are unverified. But I will I will say, you know, I, I especially in light of the R.J. Harvey news, uh, you know, unfortunately, before his ACL is out for the season, you know, a lot of people were in my mentions saying, like, oh, can we bring back Bentavious, you know, and <laughs> Uh, if he if he didn't get arrested, there's no legal issue. Uh, you know why why can't we just you know bring him back? And you know we don't know. I think from my personal opinion, from what I've heard, uh, and and knowing how these things happen, right? We have we've had kids get kicked off on teams under Scott Frost and Josh Heupel, and mm-hmm. it's part of college football. Um, I will say from a coaching perspective, especially you know yes, Gus and Gus is not his first year, but he's in his first year. Yes, yeah, he's still you know gaining the respect, maybe not now, but he's gaining the respect of his players uh, around him. When you set a standard, you know, whether it's, you know, don't skip workouts or don't skip class or don't do this or whatever, and if you were to kick a team off, kick a kid off your team for doing that, and then because you're an unfortunate series of events occurred with a torn ACL unknowingly, Mm -hmm. you can't just bring him back and break that standard because you still have to live up to that standard. You lose credibility. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, in retrospect, maybe uh, maybe it could have been worked out. But from my understanding, it seems like there was a number of things, multiple opportunities. Um, and when you have a head coach that's studying the SEC standard, uh, you got to live up to that. And, um, you know, he's focused on who he has in his locker room now. So, Gotcha. So our top two running backs uh, pretty much gone. Who do you think is going to step up this season? Does any has anyone stuck out in practice, or from what you've heard? Yeah, I, th- I think from what we've seen and what I've heard, you know, Isaiah Bowser, really big running back, uh, six foot one, two hundred twenty five pounds, obviously has some, um, you know, some big time college football experience at Northwestern. Um, you know, he's looked he's looked the part. Johnny Richardson, I think, is a guy they like a lot. Malzahn mentioned him a couple times. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he still has to become that all purpose back, but he's only a sophomore. He's He's a little small, five foot seven, 170 pounds, but we've seen him in the spring, uh, what he can do in open space. I mean, he's, he's probably the best back in open space. Uh, but in terms of an all-down back, you know, Isaiah Bowser is probably that leading guy right now. Yeah, but, that's... You know, I think, I think when you have an opportunity to develop a couple guys and uh, Johnny Richardson will continue to improve, um, you know, I, again, it's like when you have Dylan Gabriel... Right now, you just need someone who can run the ball and not fumble it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And uh, one thing I noticed at the scrimmage I was at is that Bowser played the uh, the first whole series, I guess, and they were all passes, and then they pulled him. So I think that kind of said a little something like they, you know, 
didn't want him to get hurt or anything like that in a scrimmage. So I don't really yeah. know, but it, you know, the running pack, the running back position, it's not like the nineties anymore where it was like, you know, you got to be a three down back. They're always switched in and out. Mm-hmm. So it's good that we still have some good options. Um, what about receiver though? Besides flash, has anyone really stuck out on, uh, you know, as a pass catcher? Yeah, I think, you know, you look at, you think of obviously Jalen, you mentioned uh, as number one, uh, you know, we know what he can do. That's, that's huge to have him coming back. Um, and then, uh, sorry, the name is blanking right now. Yeah. I, sorry, dude. Uh, I sorry, forgot Ryan to put O'Keefe. this. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan O'Keefe, uh, you know, we, we saw what he was able to do last year, that speed. He had a 93 yard touchdown uh, on the road, longest touchdown in UCF history. Uh, receiving touchdown that is mm-hmm. uh, you know I think Ryan even though he did kind of have a semi breakout season last year uh, you know he said he wants to have over a thousand receiving yards this year you know I, I don't know if that's all possible I'm sure it is in, in, in Malzahn's offense with Bill Gabriel um, and Jalen Robinson being the true number one gotta go somewhere else and Ryan's that guy that can really step up you know I think the third spot's really interesting uh, it seems as though Brandon Johnson, you know, the six-year guy from transfer from Tennessee, mm-hmm. uh, it seems as though he's probably that guy just because of his experience. He was just named the team captain. Um, and there's a, there's also Mario Johnson. Uh, he's from Carroll City. He's a junior. It's really interesting. He's been around a lot, but he really hasn't done a whole lot. And that doesn't that's not that's no disrespect to him. Um, he just you know he's had to wait his time, right? When you're sitting behind guys like Jalen and and going back to Marlon and Gabe and uh, all those, all those wide receivers that UCF has had drafted over the years. Um, you know, Amari Johnson is a guy that you know maybe we could see him on some punt return as well. Um, and then there's a true freshman in Hawaii, Titus Mokai Atamalala, who you know obviously the connection with Dylan Gabriel is pretty strong there. I've seen him in practice. He's he's pretty skinny for a wide receiver in college. Uh, you know, he'll continue to develop his body, but I'm sure we'll see him in, in spurts during his freshman season. And then you have two really intriguing uh, junior college guys, Jalen Robinson and Caden Robinson. Um, or sorry, uh, Kaden, not sorry, not Jalen Robinson. Caden Robinson uh, and Jalen Griffin. Lots of Jalen's on the squad. And Robinsons. Um, but yeah, and Robinsons, and um, and not to forget Nate Craig Myers. Um, you That's know, I right. Think he's, Auburn guy. He's he's around, and uh, you know another opportunity for there. But um, you know, I really think Ryan O'Keefe. Is, is a really solid number two option. It will be interesting to see who emerges as the third wide receiver that Dylan Gabriel goes to. I think we're going to have a third and a fourth. There'll be multiple opportunities for lots of guys to step up. What about the other side of the ball? Because, I mean, obviously we know about the defensive line, Clea Davis, Big Cat, um, you know, a bunch of returning guys there. But what about uh, the defensive backs? Um, what can you tell us, you know, how are we looking there and, and what are some names to look out for, you think? Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting. We have heard a lot about the defensive line. We, we know the guys that are coming in. You know, the guys that are returning to Leah Davis. Uh, you mentioned Big Cat. You know, maybe that's for a reason. Maybe we're hearing a lot about the defensive line because the secondary isn't as strong as you maybe would want it to be. And that's for good reason, right? Richie Grant, Aaron Robinson, Big Al, and they all got drafted last year. Uh, you know, how many schools had three defensive backs drafted last year? It's pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, but at the same time, Specifically at the cornerback position, you know, Corey Thornton uh, and Justin Hodges, Corey Thornton specifically, he was the first true freshman to start every game uh, since Gabe Davis did, which is which is pretty remarkable. So, 
Um, you know, Corey's a guy that's probably going to continue to develop at that cornerback position. Um, they added a, a defensive back from Auburn, Marco DeMio. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how he's used. And, that, and of course, Devon Wilson, a guy from uh, transfer from Georgia uh, to Big reunite dude. with Randy Shannon uh, last season. He was able to play eventually uh, later in the line, um, or later in the season as the season went on, he was able to get eligible and and we saw that he's, you know, a pretty big hitter. And we spoke with him last week. He sounded pretty pumped up. He's, he's switching uh, in the secondary. They're using him all over the place, sounds like, uh, maybe at that nickel spot. But I think he's probably like, if you think of, okay, how do you replace Richie Grant? Probably Devon Wilson's your best fed back there. Um, you know, and there's a couple of young guys. I've, I've heard some good stuff about freshman Brandon Adams. Uh, a couple of players have mentioned his name. He's a freshman out of Georgia. Um, you know, probably second string, but making some moves out there in the secondary. Um, I think the secondary is definitely like, you know, if no offense to, you know, special teams, but if, if kicking wasn't as bad as it is or as questionable as it is, the secondary is probably that next group <laughs> where you're like, oh, that defensive line better get to that quarterback. Um, and that's not to say there aren't some ball players back there, but um, we just don't you know, know yet. It's, not as, it's just not as strong as last season. That's, I think that's a fair assessment to say. It's just not as strong and uh, when you lose three NFL guys, your secondary or any position, it's just not going to be as talented. There's a lot of unknowns. So um, I think the five Wilson's probably going to be that guy back there, though, for sure. Yeah, it seems like he can do everything, you know, play up in the box, stuff the run, uh, good in coverage. You know, he, he seems like a good all-around player. All right, let's move into some predictions for 2021. Moo, you awake? I am. All right. <laughs> no, just just checking in. Um, all right, so let's start off with our Offensive Player of the Year. Who do you think is going to step up this year? We'll go move first. All right, so my Offensive Player of the Year is going to be Isaiah Bowser. Look, this kid came in from Northwestern sort of just trying to compete for maybe like a change of pace back. Um or a third down back and some other circumstances ended up happening. And all of a sudden he's, you know, the presumptive starter. So I, I think it's his time to shine. I've seen a lot of his video and high school video is a lot different than, you know, and seeing him actually play in college. So th this is him against, you know, some big 10, you know, defensive lines um, usually are a lot bigger than, than American lines too. Um, not going to kill you with his speed, but he's a downhill runner, always falls forward. And he's probably our biggest running back that we've had since maybe Don Travis Wilson back in 2016. Uh, so that's my offensive player of the year. Definitely going to outplay his prediction of, you know, being like a second or third string. Uh, so I'm looking for him to have a really awesome season. Gotcha. All right. Beatty, who do you got? Yeah, I think I'm going to go with <clears throat> Jalen Robinson. I think that's, I mean, number one, I think we should say that offensive player of the year, not named Dylan Gabriel. Right, obviously. <laughs> uh, obviously, obviously. And uh, maybe Jalen Robinson is an easy pick as well. But um, I'm really excited to see what he can do. I mean, we, we've seen a lot from him. But I feel like, you know, you go back to that 2017 squad, Traquan Smith looked like an NFL player, uh, mm -hmm. just, just the way he was out there. And I, I, I'm excited to see... Uh, how Jalen Robinson can improve and, and even go beyond this season uh, and, and really uh, 
you know, push himself into the NFL draft, I feel like, and, and, and a high round for sure. Um, you know, we, we've seen what he can do when he gets open space, and, and he's a little, he's pretty physical. Uh, he's got great hands, um, and I'm excited to see how Gus Malzahn is able to use him in his offense. All right, so we've got Bowser, Flash. All right, I'm going to throw a little curveball here. I'm going to go with an entire position group. The offensive line, uh, we've got Matt Lee returning at center, Cole Schneider, and, you know, the rest of the guys were returning every starter, I believe. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Beatty, right? Yeah, every starter every, on the offensive returning. Every starter's coming back. You know, we were a little shaky starting off last year. Obviously, you know, a bunch of silly penalties and stuff, but I really think they improved throughout the year. Um, you know, a bunch of the guys are on preseason watch lists, and I think with a full off season together after, you know, everything that happened last season, I think these guys are going to be really good. I know Gus is going to go back to the power run game, something we haven't seen since George O'Leary. And I think, you know, no matter who's toting the rock, I think these guys are going to get a good push up front and we're going to be able to run the ball for some good yardage. And then obviously give, D- give Dylan time, dropping back in the pocket to uh to throw to all the different receiver talent that we have. So that's my pick, uh the offensive line. All right. Defensive player of the year. Um Moo, who do you got? All right, I'm going to go with a guy that really not a lot of people are talking about, but I think again he's going to outkick his coverage and that's Western Kentucky transfer Ricky Barber. Um Kid was a stud in, at Western Kentucky, 2020 freshman All-American. Um, he's huge, 6'3", 290, a speedster guy, looking for a lot of sacks, um, and kind of like flying in under the radar with the other big names on that defensive line. So I think he's really going to step up um, and outplay everybody. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, like you said, a lot of talent on the defensive line, and uh Oh, I'll save. Uh, <laughs> I had something else I was going to say. I'll save it for later. So, yeah, I definitely like that pick. Uh, Beatty, who do you got for defensive player of the year? I was, I was, I like Ricky Barber a lot. I got to talk with him when he made his decision to come to UCF. Um, I think that's, like you said, somehow underrated. Like, he's, I think a lot of the focus is on the Auburn guys. Uh, you know, he was an all conference, second team all conference and freshman of the year. And, uh, I think it's a super underrated transfer, so I like that pick a lot. But I'll, I'll go with Big Cap Bryant. Um, it was awesome talking with him on media day, uh, just full of energy. Um, you know, he's an all-SEC caliber player. Obviously, the relationship with Gus Malzahn, Travis Williams is there. Um, I, I really do feel like, you know, yes, this defense as a whole has a chip on the shoulder, uh, but I think Big Cap specifically, you know, he wants to prove a lot of people wrong and, um, you know, there's a lot of Auburn fans on Twitter saying, oh, you quit on Auburn. What are you going to do at UCF? Uh, you know, he was, he dealt with some injury last season. Uh, so he really wasn't able to have a full year the way he would have wanted to. Um, you know, he's just, he's, I mean, you look at the photos of him flexing. He's <laughs> this freak athlete. I mean, he's, I would not want to, if I were on offense, I would simply move on. Uh, so <laughs> for that reason, for that reason, he's going to be my defensive player of the year in the end, I think. That, that's, all that, said and done. that's a good reason. And, you know, I think it says a lot about Big <laughs> Cat that he um, he transferred in and was voted team captain already. So, you know, obviously 
not just the stuff that we see, but every day in practice, he's obviously stepped up as a leader um, in a defense that had a, you know, had had big shoes to fill, I guess, leadership wise uh, with everyone that left for the NFL last year. Um, all right. My defensive player of the year. Oh, this is tough. I was going to go with Devon Wilson, but we already talked about him. So I want to talk about Kalia Davis. Um, he's going to be my pick, you know, kind of in the shadow media wise, a big cat, but he took a year off. Um, he's coming back. I've already heard actually from a couple NFL scouts that they're saying fifth or sixth round possibly for him. If he decides to go to the NFL, I, you know, I, I know he was missing out playing last year and, uh, He's really ready to step up and, and show everyone that, you know, he didn't really go anywhere. But I think, you know, like you said before, the defensive line as a whole, they're going to be a, a really good unit. And hopefully they can put some pressure on the quarterback and give the DBs, uh, make it a little easier on them. So it'll be interesting to see. But I'm definitely excited for, for all these guys that we talked about. All right, last up, sleeper pick. So Sleeper is going to be someone that obviously not everyone's talking about, but we think is going to possibly make a splash, little maybe unpredictable uh, pick. So, Moo, who do you have as your sleeper? All right. This would have been a good sleeper, but Jason's had to say something about him <laughs> a few minutes ago. Uh, I'm going to go with Amari Johnson. You know, a lot of hype coming out of high school with this guy, but hasn't really appeared a whole lot. I think that the speed is there. The size is, is pretty small, but we learned in a Gus Malzahn offense, like from the Peach Bowl, the little little receiver, Will Hastings, I'll never forget, just like obliterated us. It seemed like on every long play, it was always open, third and 10 for like a 12-yard in the middle. Um, <laughs> so, I, I, I mean, obviously I don't think he's going to lead the team in any categories, but could he have, you know, 20 catches, maybe three, 400 yards for a solid, you know, four, uh, you know, four, the number four receiver for the, for the team definitely be a huge step up going into his junior year. Um, and then if Jalen leaves, you know, next year could be really his year. All right. Moo, nice pick with your sleeper. Okay. Uh, Beatty, who do you have? Yeah, I'm going to go uh, with tight end position. Uh, Charlie Browder, true freshman uh, from the Christ School up in Tennessee. Um, obviously, Jake Hescox is starter. But I really like what we've seen from Charlie. Um, you know, again, I don't think he's going to be, you know, starting or, or anything like that. But in terms of a great sleeper pick, I think uh, he's got some really good size, six foot seven, uh, has some pretty good hands from what I've seen from his high school film. Um, it seems as though, like, he could have a pretty good opportunity to get some playing time here and there. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they use tight end in Malvon's offense. Um, again, I think Jake Hescock's the guy to go, but at the same time, Charlie Bowder, you know, future of UCF at that, at that tight end position for sure. So I think it'll be interesting to see how, how he's used as a freshman. Obviously, Hescock's on his like eighth year, but uh, good to hear we've got a, a good <laughs> pass-catching threat behind him. All right, for my sleeper, I'm going to go with Daniel Obarski. All right. I know this might be a little shocking, especially because we talked about the kicking game. But in the scrimmage I watched, he drilled a 49-yarder, a 46-yarder, and I think what was a 40-yarder. It was tough to – there were no um, 
yards on the field, so it kind of got confusing. But I know definitely a 49 and a 46, and obviously this was a big issue for us last year. I have faith in the guy. It's kicking. I'm, I'd imagine if I wasn't a good kicker, I'd spend the whole offseason practicing, and it looks like that's what he did, at least from what I saw. So I've got faith in my man, Obarski, comeback player of the year, sleeper pick, whatever you want to call it. That's my pick, uh, Dan Obarski. Just to recap, all right, so Offensive Player of the Year, Moo has Isaiah Bowser. Beattie has Flash Robinson. I picked the offensive line. Defensive Player of the Year, Moo had Ricky Barber. Beattie had Big Cat, and I had Kalia Davis. And Sleeper Pick, Moo had Amari Johnson. Beattie had Charlie Browder, and I had Dan Obarski. All right, last prediction for us, we're going to do a record prediction and I'm going to let Beattie go first. Uh, what do you think our record's going to be this season, conference championship, and maybe a bowl game? Yeah, I think, uh, I think you know, Gus Malzahn's first season will be interesting to see because I've said this obviously a couple times now. He's not a first-year head coach, but it's his first year at UCF, right? And when you're putting together a new staff and you're putting together your offensive scheme, and you have a lot of turnover at certain positions, um, things are bound to go wrong at certain times, at certain points in certain games. And I think one of those games they're going to have trouble with uh, is at Cincinnati. And that's not because of Desmond Ritter. Um, I think that's just because of Cincinnati defense. Um, you know, they're going to be really good this season. They have a couple, uh, I think at least one All-American. I saw the Associated Press release the All-American team today. don't remember his name, but um, I think Cincinnati is going to be really good this season. And that's no disrespect to UCF, uh, but at Cincinnati right now, um, I haven't seen, you know, obviously, again, if they're entering Cincinnati undefeated and the season's going well, things could be different. But right now, if you had to put uh, a gun to my head, I'm going to say 11-1. and one. And I don't know exactly how that would work with a conference championship game, um, but obviously, if they have an opportunity to beat, to get Cincinnati again, Ooh. Uh, potentially, they could win that game, right? You know, by then, they'd win uh, you know, six games in a row, I guess, uh, to get to that point. Um, you know, I think there's some really intriguing matchups on this game or in the season. Um, I guess, I suppose if they get standing again in the conference championship, because there's no divisions, right. So that could happen. Uh, I'd, I'd like you to see that thought. Uh, so obviously if they win the conference New Year's six bowl, but, uh, if something happens where they don't get the conference championship, lose to Cincinnati with one loss, um, you know, I, I suppose it could be, you know, the Birmingham Bowl, I suppose. I guess SEC <laughs> opponent, you know, something like something of that nature. Liber- um, Liberty so, Bowl. You know, I think, yeah. I mean, realistically, just that one loss just sticks out to me. Um, I think they do beat Boise State. Um, they should handle Louisville on the road. Um, you know, at SMU late in the season might be a little tough, but besides that, I mean, I think really Cincinnati is the only team that can beat them. Um, and that's not to say it's going to be. I think it's going to be a close game for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a tough place to go and play. I remember, I, you know, I was there in 2019, and it was so dang loud. I mean, that that's a, you know, it's a very tough environment, and, you know, they're returning a lot of guys, and they've got a lot of experience. Um, you know, they've got a, they've had Fickle there for a while now, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of question marks and unknowns, but like you said, we'll know a lot more before that Cincinnati game than we do now to be able to kind of predict yeah, what's going to happen. Yeah, um, Absolutely. Yep. Okay. Uh, Moo, what is your uh, prediction for the season? So I agree with Jason. I'm going to have to go with 11 and one. Um, 
I like to look at the power ranks and what Vegas thinks as well. Now that Cincinnati game is going to be the only game that we're not favored in. I just think for a first-year coach, too, with Gus, um, unproven kind of secondary, um, it's just Cincinnati is just too good. I think they're going to get us once. We'll see if we meet them again in the conference championship. Good news is there's no Tulsa on the schedule. Um, so I, I really do think that, that 11 and one is, is pretty doable. So we've got 11 and one, 11 and one. Hmm. I'm trying to think, should I use, or should I predict with my heart or with my head? Um, <laughs> wait, move, move what bowl game then? Or do you think we win the conference championship? So what's like the next best one? For the uh, I think Birmingham or Liberty, I guess. Yeah, I could see that with, with like a bottom dweller. Never know Tennessee went six and six. <laughs> that would actually <laughs> that possible. That would be amazing. Uh, I wouldn't be mad about that at all. Who says no? Who says no? <laughs> Danny White. <laughs> 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 all right. So my record prediction. Doing some math in my head right now. Fourteen and zero. Cool. Fourteen and zero. Um, we're gonna get. We're gonna run the table. I think you know Cincinnati game is gonna be close. It's a revenge game. I'm also predicting that it'll be college game day because since he would have already knocked off, I think number five Notre Dame and Indiana. I think is around seventeen now. So they beat both of them. They're mm-hmm. a top five team. We creep up into the top twenty five. College game day revenge. Cincinnati. We get payback on them, you know, for the tough couple losses the last season. And then I think we get snubbed out of the playoff again and end up in the Fiesta Bowl. So, yeah, that's my prediction. And I think that adds up to 14-0. and Yeah, yes. it does. Yep. Okay. Because <laughs> 15, 15 would be college football playoff uh, undefeated like Clemson did um, that one year. Okay. Uh, last couple things, I guess. Beatty, do you have any thoughts on the Boise State game? You know, we're just uh, just a couple days away from that. I know they just named their starting quarterback. They've got a new head coach because their head coach actually went to Auburn to take Gus's spot. So what are your thoughts heading into that game? Uh, specifically on the head coach going to Auburn, this is the second time Brian Harrison has replaced Gus Malzahn at Gus Malzahn old school. Uh, when oh. Gus left Arkansas State, Brian Harrison went to Arkansas State. Uh, so that's just really interesting fact for it. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> but he's not at Boise State. We're talking about Boise State, so I'll shut up. Uh, Boise State, I think, you know, it, it feels like this game, I know it's ESPN Thursday night, 7 p.m., uh, you know, national TV, all that stuff. I feel like this game is getting talked enough about a lot nationally. Like, we talk about it every day, and, we're you know, we're now getting into the, the specific the Boise State game questions, right, with, mm-hmm. with the players and Alzheimer's and as they – actually get in the game week here coming up. Um, but I feel like it's kind of like the game, just because of how last season went and, and this COVID pandemic stuff with the variant, like it doesn't, it feels so close, but it doesn't feel, I don't know, for some reason it feels really far away from me. But it's it just like you think about what Boise State did, you know, they were the group of five darlings, and now what UCF did, uh, you know, Boise State 2.0, and you have these two programs meeting. I mean, has that really happened before? I don't, I don't recall. Um, I, it's such I an don't interesting think so. matchup. Yeah, I mean, it's such a you know when they scheduled those games, like oh that's, that's 
you know, obviously it's not power five, but, um, you know, it's really, it's really like meeting of, meeting of the two best group of five programs that ever, you know, ever, I think. Right. I mean, it's fair to say. Um, so I think there's going to be, I I just don't think there's a lot of national attention around that. I know a lot of the, you know, they have that new head coach and UCF has a new head coach and, um, a lot of talk around that, but I think just the two programs meeting each other, um, it doesn't really feel like it's not enough hype around the game. But um, you know, I think I still have to get exactly uh, in the Boise State. I know they just named their starting quarterback. Seems like a, a veteran guy that, that has some pretty good experience. Um, yeah, you know, I've been reading that Boise State has um, pretty good defense. I think. Yeah, they're um, returning might, eight guys on cause. the defense. Eight starters. Yeah, they might give they might give UCF some trouble there. Um, but again, I, I just don't see a situation where UCF loses their home opener. It's you know forty four thousand people uh, first first game of the season. I do realize that uh, I think Mark Daniel said this morning on the, on his radio show that they're actually they bought a lot more of their allocated tickets than one would expect. Not surprised to hear that though. I feel like if I lived in Boise, Idaho, I too would want to go to Orlando in the fall. <laughs> Um, but I will say, there have been some pretty good Boise State fans uh, on my 24 message board. You know, UCF fans and Boise State fans have been sharing information about where to go and Disney and ticket info. So I do feel like Boise State fans um, are, are really good people. Um, but from the game itself, you know, it's, it's just an interesting matchup between the two programs, let alone the, the head coaching staff and Dylan Gabriel and the defense and all that stuff. You're right. A lot of great storylines. And I've been watching the, you know, the ESPN college football show every day. And literally all they talk about is Cincinnati, 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 Cincinnati. It's Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. they didn't even win their MY6 bowl and they're ranked seventh. We won ours. We were 17th and we won 25 in a row and we did still didn't get ranked seventh. And they're still talking about them. But you would think ESPN would be doing a better job promoting their own kickoff game. You know, the, the storylines are great, and you're right. We haven't heard much national attention about it. Uh, but whatever, you know, I guess we'll just have to make that attention, uh, you know, with with a great game. And I think it's going to be a good one, uh, definitely. Um, Moo, you got anything else? I was going to say, they'll start really next week, you know, going on kind of like the hype. The first commercial will come out for it. Yeah. It hasn't already. I haven't seen anything. I'm watching ESPN right now. Uh, Jameis just threw a bomb, but yeah, I haven't seen anything. And I have I have ESPN all day, every day. So <laughs> yeah, I'm super excited. Um, I think the line has been creeping up. It was minus four for the longest time. Uh, just went to five and a half. Oof. So there's been some money on money on UCF, and the total was really big too. Mm, Started out at 70, 71. Uh, wow. It's come come down to like 68 and a half. I think it's going to be a lower scoring game. I think that's a lot of points. (laughs) Yeah. New offense uh, for us. I don't know. I'm assuming Boise has a new offense with a new coach. So it could be maybe like first half under could be like the play of the year. Yeah. I just, (laughs) I can't bet the under if I'm going to the game though, you end up in a weird spot where you like are kind of rooting for something. And I don't know. Overall, (laughs) over, over all day. Um, all right, this has been awesome. Thanks so much, Jason Beatty. Follow him on Twitter at the real Beatty, B-E-E-D-E. Yeah. Newest Orlando Sentinel UCF beat writer. Congrats again, and I will see you in about a week. Thank you so much. It's been fun.
Thank you so much, Jason, for joining us for that awesome interview. A lot of cool insights from just the practice. And I really never knew about, you know, your career and how you got started. That was a good interview. Yeah, definitely great to catch up with him. And, uh, you know, just a great example of how hard work pays off. You know, you pick some, be the best at it. And, you know, he's, he's been grinding for a lot longer than I even knew. And it definitely shows. Look forward to his awesome coverage of UCF throughout the season. All right. It's time for our favorite segment, Money Moves Picks of the Week. Got to tell you, I've really missed this, guys. Money Moves Picks of the Week. So, last season, not the greatest of all time, but we'll chalk it up <laughs> to COVID. So, season three, I went still with a winning record, 14-9-1. Now, bringing that back for the three-season total. Of 80, 67, and 1. That's a 54.4 winning percentage. 52.4 is break even. Anything above 54 is truly professional gambling. And uh, just want to let you guys know about how great I am. So, <laughs> now 80, it's... 67, and 1. Pretty impressive stuff. That's pretty here. good. I mean, if you match up with any, you know, any of the like barstool pickers they're awful like you actually win and have good reasoning behind it and that's why i really enjoy listening to your picks uh you know every week that's why it's a very it's a large sample size i mean that's a that's 170 some games yeah that i've picked over these three seasons so like i said i'm not joking when i say it's my favorite segment so (laughs) all right what do we got this week so looking to bring it back uh to the wing column keeping it in the wing column. Yeah. I'm going to take a team that I've taken before. I've actually never lost while taking this team. A perfect 6-0 and while betting this team. You know them as the UCF Knights. Let's I will go. be taking UCF minus four against Boise State. Look, I looked at the line when it first came out. First came out minus four. I immediately fired away. Now it has gone up a point or two, so definitely check uh, check around to some different sites if you're looking. Make sure you shop around. Um, I kind of wanted to go money line on this just because it's a bad number at four. Mm-hmm. Um, usually one of three or seven. However, I did look, and I found probably the most impressive stat that I've that I've said in this entire podcast so far that our last 22 wins going all the way back to 2017, only one of them has been by less than 11 points. Wait. So it's either we lose or we get blown out or we win by a lot. <laughs> but right, we don't win. We don't win any close games. Okay. Let, I was trying to, I'm like, wait, what, what don't we do? Or like, what doesn't that cover? <laughs> okay. So we don't, yeah, no, you're right. Every close game has been a loss over we the last. We don't win close games. Yeah, period. What we, well, we didn't used to win close games. Out with right. the old, in with the moo. <laughs> so the last like really close game was the thirty-one thirty win at Memphis in two thousand eighteen. Go bone. That was it. Wow. The next twenty-two wins. Only one of them has been by less than eleven points. It's crazy. So the I mean, minus four not, really doesn't 
It's a crazy stat, but it's not surprising. Like, I'm looking yeah. back, I'm like, yeah, every close game, we lost. We blew most of them, actually. So the minus four really doesn't scare me, although Boise State is very experienced. Uh, probably the scariest thing is their wide receiver core, led by Khalil Shaker. Um, great receiver against probably our weakest uh, unit is the defensive backs. Uh, you look to have the defensive line led by Big Cap Bryant to really put some pressure on quarterback Hank Bachmeyer and KD to get that ball out of the and and Khalil Davis Montalvo um, to get well just name them all <laughs> um, to really get some pressure on Boise State quarterback Hank Bachmeyer and get the ball out of his hand and I will also throw out another stat is remember how we kept going back and forth about the. Uh, it feels like forever, literally like every single season about the turnovers. Turnovers. Yeah, yeah. you're now, like, oh, we're going to regress. You said it the last three years. Every year out of the last three years, I have said that what goes up must come down. And it feels like nine times out of ten, if you lead the nation in turnovers one year, you're probably going to give it back the next year. However, I can't believe it that another season has gone by and we were tied for second in the nation with a plus 13 turnover margin yet again. I know, man. For like the fourth year in a row. So I don't know. If it's not luck anymore, It maybe it truly is skill, is that we truly do take the ball away. The other team does not turn it over, and I, I, I think it's going to happen again. I don't know about takeaways because like you can cause those but i feel like we haven't had knock on wood like bad fumble luck like i don't remember us coughing up the ball so i don't know if that's you know something that's due for regression or it's good coaching or good players uh maybe it's a combination of all three but i don't know i feel like there just hasn't been even not just fumbles just like catastrophic turnovers and bad times usually it's just like I don't know, us just giving up points or like regular stuff. But I mean the turnover is just such a such an emotional it's one of the most you know, I mean I remember the pick six in the Auburn game was like the most ecstatic I've ever been in my life. I can't imagine being on the other side. Like <laughs> I think it would be like literally ripping my heart out. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah. Um It's crazy. But in the end, I think the fans are gonna make a huge impact on the game. And I like UCF minus four. Also like the under. But that's not going to be the official pick. The official pick, I'm putting the perfect 6-0 and record on the line. We're going to take UCF minus 4. All right. UCF minus 4. I'm in. Say less. Um, any other games stick out to you this week? Uh, really not a whole lot. Uh, it's tough week wanna... one, especially coming after such a weird – coming off of such a weird season. Um, yeah. I don't want to give you guys a bunch of, you know, okay picks. I'd, li- I'd like to give um, quality. Quality. I- I'm looking at that NC State minus 18 at home against USF. Look, USF is, I think they're going to be wor- even worse <laughs> than last year. Their over-under win total is like two and a half. Uh, they really have maybe two winnable games on the year. I don't know. Maybe they catch so- somebody by surprise. Um so maybe I'd look at possibly NC State minus 18. Another one that jumps out to me is East Carolina. East Carolina, still not very good, but they're definitely going to be an improved 
one of the most improved teams in the American. They're a plus 10.5 at Appalachian State. Um, hmm. that, yeah, it's a decent amount of points for yeah. not that far of a drive. And uh, East Carolina, I think, is a, is a sneaky team, you know? They had some speed uh, on the edge. They put they some, some points up. Wide receivers. And they put some and, points up against us the last couple seasons, too. Yeah, the same quarterback, Holton Ayers. You, you know he's going to keep throwing it. So, um, yeah, there's a couple couple that I might do a little sprinkle. A little sprinkle, but nothing, nothing really stands out. Uh, yeah. One just interesting game is uh, the Illinois-Nebraska game. That's like a week early. Uh, Nebraska's favored by seven versus Illinois. I don't know what's happening in Nebraska. It seems like once a week there's some not good story about Scott Frost coming. I know they're yeah, looking. Yeah, this is it. This is the last season, I think, for him. I mean, they're looking into NCAA violations. There were some message board rumors, uh, all kinds of stuff going around. And, uh, man, it's just it's so weird, like, looking where they're at and where we're at and the state of our fan bases when they got him. Like, they thought – they thought they might have just declared themselves national champs. I mean, we didn't hear the end of it from Nebraska for like two or three years, and now it's not a peep. But, you know, obviously still wish him the best. Like, I've got nothing against him. But uh, things are not looking good over in uh, uh, South South Dakota, a.k.a. Nebraska. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so to recap the picks, I'm taking UCF minus four against Boise State. Let's get get that money. money. I think we got it good. All right, last up, um, we've got a segment that we haven't done for a little while. We're going to do our Fab Five predictions for the 2021 UCF football season. But before we do, we're going to go back to our Fab Five predictions for the 2020 football season. We both had some very, very interesting picks, and... uh, some not so good outcomes. All right, uh, who wants the uh, <laughs> who wants to go first on this? All right, I will. Me bite I was the wrong. Bullet. <laughs> I was wrong five times. All right, my predictions for the 2020 UCF season were that the 25% stadium capacity will increase by year end. Well, that didn't happen because COVID sucks. Number two, Ben Tavies Thompson will lead the team in rushing. He's actually third behind McCray and Otis. The Knights will stay undefeated at home. That clearly didn't happen with a loss to Tulsa and Cincy. I predicted our defense will hold opponents to under 20 points per game, actually giving up 33.2, worst since our completely defeated 2015 season. So that backfired. <laughs> And my last prediction was the Knights will add a game to their schedule, which never actually happened. So I'm pretty wrong last year, but I'm coming back. I've got more this year that one's bound to be right from now. It's crazy. So what about you? It's like if I like before we did predictions, if you had to just pick a season and say, hey, name 10 things that didn't happen. I don't think we could do it. Like if we just, you know, picked a random yeah, year. Yeah, that's very true. Like <laughs> it's like it's like Kino where you have to pick where you like don't get any numbers. You try and pick 20 money. that don't come up. I remember we did that in <laughs> Vegas. Wow. All right. So my first one was we will return a kickoff for a touchdown. Uh we had 20 kickoffs returned that weren't touchbacks, zero touchdowns. Number 2, I said Memphis will rush for 200 yards against us in the first half. 
and still lose the game. Uh, they actually only rushed for 119. They won, and uh, yeah, Memphis was not good. Um, number three, UCF will get a crowd assist, which is an opponent false start due to UCF home field advantage crowd noise. That obviously did not happen. Number four, Mackenzie Milton gets cleared and takes the final snap at USF. He didn't dress for a single game. And number five, UCF will come from behind. This is the worst one. <laughs> UCF <laughs> UCF will come from behind, down two scores on the road, and win. That did not happen, but it did happen three times against us. <laughs> <laughs> and we actually picked these in that order. You can't make this up. Uh, Unbelievable. All right. <laughs> Let's uh let's try and right. do a little better ten this year. Chan- ten more chances to be right. <laughs> All right, what do you got? All right, my first prediction. Now I did make this a couple of weeks ago and I wanted to change it, but I'm going with my gut. First prediction for 2021 is the UCF Knights rushing attack will be the best since the Kevin Smith days. Yes, I understand that we lost a couple of players. However, it's more of a scheme-based prediction than who was actually on the field. We still have a stable full of running backs. We're still going to use a lot more motion. We still have one of the best offensive lines in the nation. And, I mean, obviously, breaking Kevin Smith's like single-season rushing record isn't going to happen. But I think, as a group collectively, we still have one of the best running back groups in the nation. And we could be top three-ish for rushing in the country. That's my prediction. I like that. And, you know, like we said before, Gus going back to the power run game, I, I think that's definitely, um, you know, not just plausible. I think it could happen. Um, and that'll be a good sign. The more rushing yards you have, that means, you know, the more time we have positive game script, we're running out the clock, you know, putting it to our opponents. Um, so I like that. All right. My first prediction of the 2021 UCF football season we're going to lead the country in sacks. No surprise here with this prediction. You know, the defensive line has been super hyped up all offseason, but I really think it can be true. You know, there's multiple guys on that D-line that are going to contribute this. And, you know, as BD mentioned earlier, it's just such a deep position. And um, I really think these guys are going to be fired up. And, you know, sacks, not necessarily a, uh, a stat category UCF's known for. We're, you know, touchdowns, offense, speed. You know, those have been kind of the the talking points uh, over the last few years. I think we're going to flip the script a little bit this year. Uh, you know, whole new defensive staff and uh, got a lot of experience coming back. So I think we're going to get after the quarterback and it's going to be fun to watch. I love it. Um, you know, the defensive line is crazy insane. I think it's our most experienced other than the offensive line. Um, we're going to be good in the trenches. I love it. Both sides of the ball. All right. So the second prediction, 2021, Dylan Gabriel finishes higher in Heisman voting than Dante Culpepper in 1998. Wow. So in 1998, Dante Culpepper finished sixth in Heisman voting. 2007, Kevin Smith finished eighth. And in 2017, KZ finished eighth. I think DG cracks the top five. Now, there's a lot of different reasons why I think this. First, there's a couple of front runners. You know, Spencer Rattler, obviously, is the favorite quarterback of Oklahoma coming back. Then you have a a lot of kind of unknown or unproven guys 
you know, that, that are either freshmen or kind of just starting. You got DJ Uagalele from Clemson, Bryce Young, JT Daniels, CJ Stroud. I think Sam Howell is also going to end up being a top five vote getter quarterback out of North Carolina. But honestly, everybody else is kind of, you don't know. So there's been lo- definitely longer shots. You look at, you know, Devontae Smith from last year was started at like 200 to one. Joe Burrow was 200 to one in the summer. Even Lamar so, Jackson, like at week three in Lamar Jackson's Heisman year, I think he had like 15 total touchdowns and he was still like 50 to one. So there'll be some sleepers. There always are. Um, so long shots definitely win. I'm rooting for Dylan to win, but I think if he cracks the top five, it definitely would would be you know a huge win for for him and, and the program as a whole. So yeah, I, mean, I, I think he's he's also going to break. Uh, I think the all time touchdown record, right? He yeah, only needs like thirty touchdown. or something. Yeah, it's Cole Pepper, eighty four. So he has sixty one. Oh, so he only needs twenty three. Yeah, sixty one in two seasons. So. Definitely going to break Dante Culpepper's career passing touchdown. He has an outside shot of being the career passing leader as well. He needs about 4,200 yards. He'd have to have a career year, but it's definitely within within reach for sure. Single season record still hold by Mackenzie Milton at 4,037. That'll be tough to touch. All right. Second prediction. I think we're going to be ranked in the top 20 uh, heading into the Navy game. I think even though, you know, we're at like 38 and 40, um, the Boise win I think will be big. We're going to go to Louisville, make a big splash on the road. Then we've got we've got an FCS game and a bye week. I know, you know, no one knows who's going to be good. So half the teams in the top 25 probably won't be there after a couple weeks. You know, everyone will be losing. We'll be scooting up. And, you know, that'll set the stage for, obviously, the Navy game and then East Carolina Family Weekend, boom, Cincinnati. So, uh, obviously, getting a little ahead of myself here, but I don't think it's that crazy that we'll be ranked heading into Navy. No, I don't think that's crazy either. You get two wins over, you know, name-brand schools like that and, you know, 3-0 and heading into October. I-, I could definitely see us cracking the top 25. All right, uh, what's your third prediction for this season? Next prediction should not be that far-fetched. Gus Malzahn wins the AAC Coach of the Year. Come on, what better story would it be than, you know, old Gus kind of getting thrown out with the bathwater yeah. there at Kick Auburn. to the curb. And, um, you know, he finds his home. It's like or how every other old person does. They retire in Winter Park. Um, he's 55. He's not that <laughs> old, dude. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, honestly, like he, I get the analogy though. He could ride off into the sunset for the next 30 freaking years here. And, um, you know, it, it, it's just going to be the start of, of something good and something that's going to stick. Finally. I, I really honestly believe him when he says that he wants to stay now, obviously like you got to say that every coach, you got to say that. But I'm pretty good at reading people, and I have a feeling like he is going to stay no matter what. They're they're cemented already in the culture, and you know the like the Florida lifestyle. 
you know, him and Terry could stay right together in this for for quite some time. So and, and build an absolute like powerhouse, not just football, but all of athletics, and you know, Tommy Bahama shirts, and it, it just feels right. I agree. Um, is that official money move pick that Gus is staying? No, I'm kidding. Uh, no, I, I, I really. Mean, the, if you could find me a line on that, I feel like that you know. It seems pretty there. Unless Cincinnati goes undefeated, then they like have to give it to Fickle, I guess. Yeah. I, I really like that prediction, though. Second one that you kind of, you kind of half stole that, but uh, no, not that you knew. All right, my third prediction. Kind of hinted at this earlier, but I think Obarski, he's going to be 90, 90% field goals this year. I really believe it. I liked what I saw at the scrimmage. I think, you know, he's had a ton of time to improve. And, um, you know, I really just think there was a lot of other circumstances. You know, we saw so many different things last year that were distractions to the team. I think we're dialed in now. He's had the time to practice. Uh, so that's that's my third pick is Obarski, 90% uh, kicking percentage. 90. That's pretty good. Well, so last year he was 12 of 17. That's 70. So only attempting 17 field goals, that means you can miss one, maybe two oh. the whole year. Man, whatever. 85 rounds up to 90, though, technically, if you go by tons. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> whatever. You know what? If I get one of these, I'll be happy. So um, Yeah, me too. All right, pick four. What do you got? All right, the next one's a fun one, and I, and I really want to see this happen. All right, next prediction, 2021. Someone will win a car at the halftime show of a home game. All right, so you know they always bring out this stupid, like, I don't know, it'll be like the Carl Black Chevy or something. Or a couple seasons, it was like a convertible, and you had to, like, throw the ball from, like, midfield and, like, yep. make it in. Or It's impossible, right? It can make sense, yeah. I, I just have a feeling. I don't know why this like random thought popped into my head, and I'm like, you know, like nobody ever wins these. Like, why not this year? It could happen. Like, you know, or kick like a four. They have to kick like a forty-yard field goal or something. Yeah, I don't know. Usually, the people are like not even close, though. That's the problem. It's like they. I feel like they pick people that aren't athletic, but that would be definitely cool to see. Uh, You know, you're right. It's never happened before, and what we're going into year fourteen in the bounce house, fifteen something like that. So, uh, crazier things have happened for sure. And if I get this prediction right. That would be like the craziest call of all time. That really would be. <laughs> so what's there to lose? There's really nothing to lose. And you know what? If no one makes it, no one will even remember until next year. So right. that's a win-win pick. All right. My fourth prediction for this season, Kalia Davis passing touchdown. Uh, got no what? information on this besides the fact that I saw a picture of him lined up like he was in shotgun. Uh, I don't even know. It might have been from practice. It might have just been a photo shoot, but I saw it. So, you know, I'm just putting it out there in the universe. Kalia Davis, I'm thinking we got some kind of wildcat package. We run it with him a few times, maybe a couple handoffs. And then when everyone's crashing in on the box, he's going to do like a little, either like a fake or like a Mac jump pass or something to maybe Hescock for a touchdown. Um, so that's my fourth prediction. Yeah. I like the jump pass. Yeah. Can't stop it, dude. Um, Got to, got to, you know, got to defend the run first. It's going to have to be something like that. Like, remember Daryl Henderson's passing touchdown oh, against us? Yeah, I do. That he was like on a 
full running back sweep and then just like pulled up and chucked it. Yeah. Oh man. There was nothing we could do either. But uh, yeah. I like that. Very versatile player. I mean, when was the last time a lineman scored a touchdown? Was it Tristan Hill? Tristan Hill. Rumbling, tumbling, stumbling, bubbling into the end zone? Dude, when we wore those ugly gold pants that game, and I just remember like his giant his giant legs uh you know, falling into the end zone, and uh, I'm glad we haven't brought those pants back. They did not go well with the black jerseys. <laughs> All right, last up, uh, what's your last prediction for this season? Last prediction, and I think this will, will definitely come true. We will have a winning record against the spread. Now, crazy stat here. The last two years, we've been under 500. 2019, we're 6-7. and seven. 2020, we're 3-7. Um Vegas loves to be right in the middle because they always win. Yeah. So it's kind of good for UCF betters that we have been a little subpar, at least against the spread for the last two years. Cause I feel like we've really been out kicking our coverage. Obviously when we went, you know, 25, 25 <laughs> and Oh, we're we, going to win against the spread. Yeah. So unlike the turnover margin, uh, the spread does usually, you know, revert back to the mean. However, last two years have been under par, so I'm looking to go over par this year. Probably going to end up taking the Knights in more games than I did last year, but we'll see. So back to looking to get ahead of the game here with our against the spread record. I like that. And thinking about predictions, I didn't even think about gambling at all. Uh, so great pick by you. We didn't do anything like that last year. Um, you know, it's a sign of a good season when you're constantly beating the spread week to week. I remember we made a lot of money in 2017 because Vegas was just not paying attention to us, and it was amazing. Paid for the Peach Bowl trip. Well, I guess it helps that we like didn't lose to Memphis in overtime, but whatever. <laughs> this is a favorite move. Just bet half of whatever you think you're going to spend on a bowl trip on the game that gets you there. And if you lose, you lose. But if you win, it's half price. So woohoo! All right, my last prediction, you know, I talked about this earlier, but I'm going to talk about it again. College game day is going to happen at Cincinnati. You know, I'm all in on Cincy going to be ranked top five. Um, You know, I know this is kind of a long shot, but hey, it's not like we could do worse than our predictions last year, so here we are. There'll be a lot of great storylines going into this, you know. Cincinnati ran the table, got snubbed from the playoff. UCF was the team to do it before Cincinnati. UCF had college game day versus Cincinnati in 20... I'm getting the years messed up. 2018? Yeah, 2018. Um, Since he's beat us every game since, you know. Luke Fickle not taking the big P5 jobs. Gus Malzahn lost to UCF in the Peach Bowl before. Cincinnati just lost the Peach Bowl. I could go on and on. Um, obviously, a lot of stuff would have to happen for us to get there. But, hey, you never know. Crazier things have happened, especially as a UCF fan. So that's my last prediction. College game day, Lee Corso, Kirk Herbstreet, and the gang at the Cincinnati UCF game in October. Last up, we've got... Moose Mailbag, where we answer all of your questions. Thank you always for your submissions. First up, we've got Cassidy. Favorite bet for UCF this year, plus 400 for the conference championship is my pick. Moo, what do you think? I don't like futures bets like this. I would much rather 
take money line for the Cincy game because you figure if we do win that game, that we're probably going to go to the conference championship, and there's we'll a lot probably that can happen. Still, we'll probably still be the underdog for the conference championship too. I mean, it's fun, yeah. If you want to throw fifty bucks on it or whatever, two thousand, um, <laughs> yeah, or something like that. But uh, I, I just don't like futures bets like that because it, it, it honestly is better to just bet every game. Or just bet the Cincy game is probably going to be like plus 250 from what it sounds like anyway. So when you yeah. put it that way, uh, yeah. But I, I like the plus 400. Four to one to win the conference. Um, you know, it's fun. That's what makes it fun. We're not doing this for money. We work. Like this is entertainment and that's why we bet. So I actually agree. That's my favorite bet. All right. Next up, what do you got? Uh, next one is from Todd Thrasher. Which loss this season will result in Sean tweeting fire Gus? <laughs> well, as you listened to earlier, uh, we're going 14-0, so that's not going to happen. Um, no, but I think my um, my fire hypo tweets were warranted, and I stand behind them, and they're still up there not deleted. So, I think. No, seriously, give me a real question. Oh, all right. Next one's from Tom Johnson. Thoughts on $50 million spend with minimal impact seating capacity and how that might impact future scheduling. You know, it's interesting. I didn't think about the capacity thing. I still know that our stadium can be expanded for like a 300 level though. Like I think one does not rule out the other, but the idea is for recruiting. We need the facilities for recruiting. We get the good recruits. We win the games. We get the bigger matchups. We build the stadium. Like it's not one has to come before the other. So I get what you're saying. It's a lot of money to put in with not that much revenue gain, but we have to make the investment now to pave the road for a future success. And that will bring, you know, more demand for more seats. Exactly. And and I think the stadium expansion is going to have to be multiple years of like quick sellouts. Like I understand that, you know, coming back off COVID year, like we're at like 98% or something almost sold out. But like you look at that year after 2017 where we were sold out like almost instantly. And that kind of hype needs to be there for, you know, three, four years before we ever think about really expanding the stadium. I think it could be one of the worst things we could do is if we expand too early and then, you know, have a bunch of empty seats. I think us the jokes being will at, not be fun. <laughs> yeah. I think us being at capacity is good for it's good for the brand. It's good for the atmosphere. So like adding seats, I mean, it doesn't really do anything. No, just raise the prices, supply and demand. Like the only time yeah. the only well, it will affect us with being able to get, I guess, certain opponents where we're gonna need a bigger allotment. But again, that's a good problem to have. Like it's really going to come down to us joining a bigger conference. The demand will be there. Like we don't sell out the 3000 allotment from Cincy or Memphis. Like those are not huge fan bases. Like they're fun rivalry games, but you know, if we're in the big 10, hopefully, but not even that, even the big 12, like those are schools with a ton of fans that travel and that's where the demand will be. For now, we can just raise the prices. You know what I'm saying? It's not like anyone can't get into a game that wants to watch a game. So, long answer to a short question, but yeah, it's a good. You made a good point there. You know, that's a it's a serious concern uh, or legitimate concern. I want to say. Last question from MD Knight. 
what kind of restaurant do you want the launch club to have? Ooh, um, I don't know. It's got to have something, something local, man. Like give it, give me some, give me some, uh, lazy moon pizza or something in there. That would be awesome. You know what I mean, that's a great like, idea. Like every single game at halftime, I get Jeremiah's that this has been a tradition like none other. That, that I love Jeremiah's. It, it's a local place that started, I think, in like Winter Park or something. They even built one in Naples, which is crazy. Um, so, yeah, get, give me something local. Give me some, you know, something you can't just – not stupid stadium, regular stadium food. Um, but I think that's what makes, you know, the bounce house special is something like that. I thought you were going to say that's what makes it special is regular stadium food. No, I agree. Something local, something unique. It's stadium food. It's like the bar is not that high, but – Give us something, you know, something different. Uh, I'm just thinking of, like, baseball stadiums. They always have those crazy, like, giant sandwiches with, like, a hot dog with, like, a, a pie and, like, ice cream. You know what I'm saying? Just a bunch of stuff put together. Give me some, like, specialty crazy food item. Just something different. I, I'm not really a picky eater. But, yeah, either something local or, or something, you know, something extravagant. All right. This one's from Dr. Jose Pants. Where do we go from here if DG declares for the NFL draft following the season? Well, DG's got to do what's best for DG, not for us. So if if that happens, that means he had a really good year. So I wouldn't be that mad. Um, but to answer your question, I think we're seeing some good things from Mikey Keene from what I've heard. Uh, you know, throughout the summer, I think he's been very impressive in the uh, backup quarterback role. Also, we've got you know, a bunch of other guys. We just got some transfer that was supposed to be good, I think, from Kentucky. Uh, Parco Navarro, Quadri. Yeah, I think we'll be fine. You know, there's always been someone to step up, even when it seemed like there wasn't, you know. We had Mac, We had DG. So there'll be someone else, and uh, we got a lot of good options to pick from. What do you think? I think so, too. I mean, the transfer portal's always open, of course. This is going to be a... Uh definitely a destination for for people from time to come if you have gus driving that bus um <laughs> i wanted to put this in one of my predictions as well i don't think he leaves i don't care if he gets top five heisman i just have this feeling i don't think he leaves dude he he is the most ucf of all ucfers he loves the school Depending on what he does this year, I think if he has one more year, and unless you know the NFL scouts give him like a first round grade or second round grade, I really think he stays and cements himself as the best quarterback, knocking off Culpepper as the best UCF quarterback ever of all time. Like I said, if he ends up leaving, then that means we had a really good season. So whatever, not a bad problem to have. Um, thank you as always for your questions. Let's wrap this up. Uh, last couple things, obviously preseason football is underway. Jordan Franks, if you guys did not see, he was like a top 10 sports center, toe drag swag, Nate Burleson highlight on, uh, well, I guess NFL network, not sports center, but he had a good catch in the Browns game. Um, any other built by UCF stuff that you've seen over the last couple weeks? Yeah. Jacob Harris had a nice touchdown. In the corner of the end zone. And uh, they went to Otis. him on the two-point conversion, too. And then, yeah, Otis. Otis got in the game one or two different punt returns. So that 
that's great for him, especially being being undrafted for you to make a team and you know just be on the preseason squad and get some NFL experience. It's yeah, it's great. He, he wasn't even undrafted free agent right away. He just got a rookie camp invite, and they liked what he what they saw with him. And look, he's still there. Teams have been going through a couple rounds of cuts, and he's still on the roster. So, fingers crossed that he makes the team or at least the practice squad. Uh, great to see him out there in LA. You see Clayton, is it Gathers or Gathers? I think it's Gathers. See Clayton Gathers, uh, he was dropped by the Colts last offseason, not signed by anyone. Titans picked him up late. Weird that he got signed just last week, you know. We're in like the middle of training camp and teams are trying to cut from 90 down to 53. They're not exactly signing people, but he got signed by the Titans and had a pick in the Bucks game the other day. So that was good. And then AK cut by the Eagles, but then immediately signed by the Broncos. So he's wearing number 17 out there in Denver. Definitely look out for that. We've got, I don't know the exact numbers because people are getting cut and stuff. I know Bortles got cut, but I think we're at like 23 players on like 16 NFL rosters. So almost every game, you know, every NFL game is going to have at least one or two built by UCF yeah. guys. It's uh, got to be somebody. It's incredible, but then also when you look at the list, it's like, <laughs> I mean, Beattie talked about it. Three of our DBs got drafted. Well, I guess Tay didn't play last year, but still. A um, lot of offensive talent, or a lot of NFL talent on the roster last year, and uh, eh, what could have been, whatever. Um, you also went uh, recently on a FSU bar crawl, for whatever reason. You want to talk about that? Not much to do in Naples. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm going to be on the FSU bandwagon this year. Obviously, there's some rumors about McKenzie's ankle or foot. I don't know. I talked to a booster there. He didn't seem too worried about it. But, uh, you know, it's just great to see him practicing and playing and, you know, scrimmaging and stuff. I mean, you remember this kid was this close to having his leg amputated. I mean... It's great to see him out there, and I know you know he's got a future in football, whether that's playing, coaching, uh, whatever. Great kid, and uh, you know, wish him nothing but the best. And I'm gonna be up there for the uh, you know the Notre Dame game, supporting him, and uh, you know, just cool to cool to see him out there. Also, Bam Moore, uh, for whatever reason, not on the FSU roster. Obviously, he was um, you know transferred from UCF. After his leg injury, um, so that kind of stinks, but hopefully he ends up on a roster somewhere. Moo, you got anything else? We also started getting into golf. So we played golf again at the beautiful Heritage Bay in Naples. Um, um, my home course? <laughs> your home course. So you did, I mean, we played a scramble, it was me and you, so I feel like we had a little bit of advantage. I can't believe they um, didn't mention that, but I guess now they're hearing <laughs> it, so... I mean, yeah, it's like I know where all the water and, like, I know the holes. I played it a bunch of times, but whatever. It was fun. Six hours with course. the rain delay. Yeah, well, there was, like, three lightning delays, but we did finish, so that's all that matters. Um, I definitely want to play when we're up in Orlando on Friday after Boise, so if anybody knows any good courses up there. Like, I haven't really played. I think in Orlando, all I played was, like, Ventura. I played Twin Rivers once. I played that um, one that's like by Gators Dockside or something. Like oh, back there, I, I played Wedgefield like on your way to Coco a couple of times. Oh, nice! Like, I mean, it's a long course, like very wide open. I remember. Yeah, gotta get Ventura that hybrid. Was really small hybrid move. <laughs> Love the hybrids. Yeah, I need to get. I got. 
I was looking at some earlier and got distracted. I definitely need that because I can't hit the three wood. But golf is fun. Let us know your suggestions. Uh, or, you know, if you want to play on Friday, hit us up. All right, man. Uh, I can't wait, dude. I will see you soon. I'll see all of you soon at the Boise State game. We'll be there. We'll be do there. We have any pre, do we have any pregame plans? What's the tailgate situation? Look on Twitter. I have no idea. <laughs> we'll okay. find. We'll figure something out. Find us. Come say what's up. Um, we love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. And go Knights. Charge on. Don't make nature.